Today, we've got one of my good friends and mentors, Zane Sapacosta. He's an entrepreneur. He's a Domino's franchise owner with over eight stores. He's got over 300 staff, which is pretty amazing. He's an investor, volunteers, incredible leader, and just an all-round legend to a lot of different people. So, Zane, thank you very much for joining us today and uh, giving up some time to answer a few questions. Anytime for you, Joe. Beautiful. Um, if we could just start off with a little bit of background about you growing up as a kid, what was your lifestyle like? Were you born into a family with billions of dollars and sort of just worked with that? Did you, you know, where did you come from? What were some of the challenges that you faced growing up? I was born in a country town, Coffs Harbour, um, and I was uh, blessed to be born there because it's a beautiful place. I grew up on the beach and uh, moved around after that a fair bit. But um, at the age of six, my father died in an accident. And so my mother was left with myself, six years of age, and my brother, who was only two years of age at the time. Um, and it was a bit of a shock to the family, as you can imagine. You know, yeah. losing, a, losing a parent from a child's perspective is pretty hard. But also from my mother's point of view, you're losing her, her partner that is there to support the, you know, the family financially, but also um, in every other aspect, emotionally, mentally. You know, it would have been hard for her. So that, that was a bit of a shock to us as a, as, as a family. And I suppose after that, you know, I mean, the next several years or the next decade after that, I suppose I, I saw my mother working very hard. You know, there was times where she was working two jobs um, day and night just to put food on our table, you know, I mean, as a family. And um, not that I knew that as a child, you know, these are the things that you kind of, you find out as you grow up and, you know, you get a little bit older, you have these discussions with, with your parents. But, um, yeah, you know, I, I remember my mum telling me only several years ago that there were times when, you know, she wasn't eating for a whole week just so she could afford to make sure that, you know, my brother and I ate for that week. And I didn't know that at all, you know what I mean? And so as I started to get a little bit older, one of my missions was to make sure I'd be able to give back to my mum. And, you know, if anyone knows, my mother is absolutely by far my biggest focus of energy and time and love and, and, and effort and financial support that there is in in my world at this point in time. I just want to give back to her. I was a bit of a brat as a kid because I didn't know that she was suffering, you know? Yeah. Um, and, I, and I suppose as a, as a young child, you know, you're so self-centered around yourself that you don't start to look external um, at what's going on out there. And it's only when you get older, you have the ability to look back and go, you know what? I was probably a bit of a, a selfish brat as a child. And um, yeah, so that was that was my upbringing. Then we um, we moved around a bit. We moved down to Queanbeyan and then Canberra and then back up to Coffs Harbour as a family um, in my early teens. And then, uh, no, my, my family didn't have the money, obviously, as I just said. You know, we struggled for many, many years um, financially until uh, I found out as an older teenager that my mother was having a, um, a court case regarding my father's death. And... Um, you know, that went on for seven years and it went all the way down to the, the high court in Canberra. And eventually uh, my mother won the case and she won a significant amount of money. And um, that's when my life started to be a bit more interesting because at the time I also met my mentor who started to teach me at 17, 18 years of age about finances. And um, the, what he was teaching me was very different to what my mother was doing with all her money that she had just received from the court case, right? Yeah. Um, and so I had these conflicts of interest and I thought, well, hang on a second. My mother's doing this and she's okay. She's enjoying her lifestyle and my mentor's teaching me this and this is very different advice. Um, what's, what's wrong with it, right? But then I started to see after the money started to run out for my mother, the, the stress and the strain that it put on her that the advice that my mentor was teaching was correct, absolutely correct. And, um, you know, that's when I absolutely powered forward in that direction and I vouched to help support my mother for the rest of her life financially, but by going down the avenue of helping myself first. And I had to do that. Awesome. So, Explain that. Um, helping yourself first. What, is, what, is that, what does that mean? What does that look like, especially financially? Well, if I, at a younger age, all I did was give part of my income to my mother, it would just be part of my income going and helping her. And um, it would then just be spent. Whereas I knew that I have to take all of my income and invest it and work hard and focus on building an empire for a while before I could have the actual passive income that comes through from the investments or the business to be able to then support her financially. And that's what I do. I mean, I, I, uh, I, I am blessed to be in the position to be able to support my mother and I have done so financially every week um, for the last almost 15 years now. So 
but I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to do that and support her financially and give her a lifestyle that she uh, likes to have now if I didn't work hard and put on building that empire and myself at a younger age. You talked talked about their spending and investing. What are your definitions there for spending versus investing? Well, spending is what everyone does, right? The economy runs on, on spending. And so it's designed, the economy is designed to get people to spend their income. But the problem with that is that they, uh, the general population, 98% of the population probably today, spends almost all of their income on something that doesn't make more money. If they spend it on nights going to the movies, alcohol, coffee, uh, a car, um, a home, whatever it might be, none of, none of which any of that makes any more money. Whereas the investment philosophy, which is what only pretty much 2% of society do, is that they spend a portion, if, even if it's just you know, 20%, 10%, $20 a week, $50 a week, whatever it might be, they spend that money on something else that makes more money. And everyone always asks me, well, what is that, that thing that makes more money? There's a million different ideas out there, right? There's so many different things you could think about that make more money. But if you ask yourself the question, you know, as Rick Kiyosaki says in Rich Dad Poor Dad, how can I, how can I, how can I, the brain will end up coming up with the response of some avenue to make more money out of something. And that's where you should spend your money. That's investing. Investing is having your money work for you, not you working for the hour, which is then paid for by the dollar. Money for kids. Is it, do you think that it's important the kids start learning about that stif- this stuff as kids. Absolutely. What do you think the conversations around the dinner table are like in um, a billion-dollar household in comparison to the conversations around the dinner table um, in a family that is, uh, for example, on welfare? They're very different conversations, you can imagine, right? Hugely different. And, and so, hugely different. And so, I, I, you know, I look at the young um, next generation of entrepreneurs, which is, you know, you look four to eight years of age only at the moment. And if you could just ingrain or teach those um, young children, you know, the philosophies of investing at such a young age, you'll watch how they spend their money different. But it's also a brilliant age to be able to remove the entitlement mentality. You know, I mean, a lot of um, youth in today's world, they grow up because their parents have supported them because they don't want their kids to go through the same struggles that they went through. And so therefore they support them financially and they give them everything they want. What that does is that you've just, you've just cultivated and rewarded the entitlement behavior. And so now you have an 18, 19 year old, you know, uh, adolescent young man, young woman that feels uh, entitled that they should receive these things, whether it's from the government, from the family, from the employer, whatever it might be, instead of understanding that, they have to work for it. There's a, there's a certain amount of effort involved, right? And I think that, God, if, if, if at six, seven, eight years of age, if you could just make sure that the kids at home do some housework around the house and you, you reward them with uh, a financial benefit of some kind, you know, instead of saying that the kids want a PlayStation that's just come out or a new game that's come out, no worries. I'm happy to give that to you. But what's in return for that? Mm. There's an exchange of value. You know, a, a great mentor of mine, which you also know as well, Joe, um, he once said to me many years ago that money is only and ever is an exchange of value. Mm. When you receive money, it's an exchange of value. And if there hasn't been an exchange of value, you're actually breaking the laws of money. You know what I mean? And that's going to come back and, and bite you in some aspect, right? And so you have to have an exchange of value. You just can't take something from someone without giving something in, in return the yin and the yang philosophy, right? And so if a parent is only just giving the children something and not expecting something back in return, they're growing a habit there. Where does that habit lead? Well, definitely into an entitlement mentality, right? What sort of financial lifestyle would that create? A burden, hardship, working, you know, welfare. The government will support me. It's easier to be on the government money than it is to work, especially in today's world. Yeah. Right. There's effort required. I can get this much money by not doing anything. Geez, even our government, you look at our government, right? The, the economy struggles. And so the government goes, here's $900 for free. Woo-hoo, go spend your money. You know what I mean? It, it's stimulus, right? That's our government. Yeah. You watch what happens with the majority of society. They'll take that and they'll spend it. That's exactly what the government wanted you to do. But that's going to keep you in that same mentality of being poor. Yeah. You know, and, and, it, and it starts at a very young age. You know, when I was, when I was really young, I was um, going around washing neighbors' cars, cool. and I turned it into a little business. You know, I um, I 
I, I would print out little cards on on my computer and it would print out on the printer and I'd go and drop them off in letterboxes and I'd have all the old grannies calling me up, um, you know, asking if I could come and wash their car. And then I went and bought a little dust buster, which helped me vacuum their inside. And I went and bought some more stuff for the money I made. And so I started to make a bit of profit out of this, right? And I would have had to have only been probably 10 to 12 years of age at the time. And then I started to get a little bit more business where I decided to um, start employing some younger kids down the street for me. And they would only be an eight to 10, probably they're a bit younger than me. And I would pay them half of what I was earning. So I was making the margin. And so I learned that this philosophy at a very young age, but I'm also thankful because my mother never gave me an allowance when I was younger for free. I had mm. to do home duties. So it didn't, it, it taught me that, wow, there, if I can do something and charge for it, because that's what I did with my mom, I vacuumed the carpet at home and I, and I got paid for it. Imagine if I could make this a bit bigger. If I could do something for someone else down the street and I get paid for it and I'll ask for a little bit more than what my mom's given me because my mom only gave me $5 to vacuum the carpet once a week. Mm. You know what I mean? Imagine if I could make this bigger. Where does that come from? Because it was from a desire. As a child, I wanted things mm. and my mother wasn't going to pay for it. She always said to me, I'm not going to pay for it. You've got money. You go pay for it. I said, I don't have enough money. She said, well, go and work harder. Hmm. So as a kid, I had savings, but I only had, say, $300 or whatever it might be. And what I wanted was $500 or a new computer. And she would say to me, and this is where, this is where I think it's important for parents, right? She would say to me, no, I don't have the money. You have to go and pay for it. You go pay for it. Hmm. Go work harder. And so I just had to go and wash a few more cars. And it's, interestingly enough, it turned from a car washing business into car washing, lawn mowing and gardening. And, uh, the, the, you know, I had these, had these kids down the road working for me real hard and, and we were doing all sorts of jobs around the place, right? I had a little empire growing and, um, and, it, was, and it was, I probably should have kept that going. I'd probably be in a very different place today, right? But uh, someone would misconstrue that as child labor today. But, you know, I mean, I was a child at the time. So, you know, I mean, how we're old, children. So, how old were you at this stage? I was probably 12 or 13 or something like that. And, and, many, and the younger kids were. How many workers? I had about, about four. <laughs> four workers and 12 years old. Yeah, it was brilliant, right? What was the turnover? Do you remember your profits? No idea because I was, what I was doing was I was investing it a lot. So, a lot of the people would bring their car up to my mum's home or our home at the time, especially the neighbors. Um, and for me to take business, this is, this is how I thought, which was really interesting. I spent a couple of hundred dollars of my profits on a cordless telephone so I could take the telephone outside next to the, me when I'm working on the cars in case someone else would ring the phone again and I could answer it while I'm cleaning the car. Right. So it was me, that, that was an avenue of me growing the business, right? It was, it was capital investment into more equipment. Yeah. Uh, and then I would go, I would buy a new dustbuster vacuum that I could work on mobile. So I would then not have to have people come to the home. I could go to their home and I'd take the charged dustbuster with me and I could clean people's cars at their house instead. Yeah. I'd then go and buy more washing detergent or more buckets or more chamois or whatever it might be. Right. And so we started to grow this a little bit. Um, you find that interesting. I love it. I love it. I did. Like as a kid, I'd always sell stuff at school. I get in trouble because kids had no lunch money left because I was selling stuff. But um, I never got to the point of hiring my friends. And that's one thing about your story that I love that you got other people involved so that you were, you're getting your money working for you, not just going out and working for the money. Even at that age, I think that's really, really cool to look at that. And I think um, you end up coming back and buying. You know, because uh, two of them were brothers that were friends down the street. And after they realized that I was paying them half of what I was getting from the client or the, the person, they went and started their own business. And it was competition, right? So it, it kind of showed me too along the way at a very young age, at 12 years of age, you've got to look after your people. You've yeah. got to make them want to stay, you know what I mean, and grow them and et cetera and help provide them a, a path. And that's really helped me in my business today. Um, because at the end of the day, you've got these people then that would just go up and be competitive to you. Mm. Yeah, bang on, I 100% agree with that. Cool, really good. Um, you sort of answered my, my next couple of questions in that, which was really, really cool. Do you, do you think it's, it's a good practice for kids at that sort of age, like nine, 10, 11, 12, to go out and do stuff like that? Like go and wash cars, go and mow lawns, go and do like something for that money so that they get that themselves. Yes, absolutely. You, you want to ingrain the, 
the work ethic in, at a very young age. You know, all, all parents want to be able to teach their children a very strong work ethic. Mm. And, I, and I don't think that any parent out there has um, the wrong intentions for their children. I think everyone is very sincere, but some people are sincerely wrong in their way that they're going about it, that's all. Yep. And I think that, you know, some, some parents are very protective. You know, they won't let their kids go down the street and watch other people's cars, for example. Yeah, that was I understand, you know, that there is a risk and whatever it might be. Then find an avenue that they're comfortable with that maybe they could help with that would teach the children um, a, a good work ethic um, and an exchange of value and then perhaps even investing and in growing a, a business at such a young age. Can you imagine if the majority of parents in today's society were helping grow mini entrepreneurs before they even went to high school, what the mentality of those people would be like. Phenomenal. You know, phenomenal. They would understand leverage. They'd understand, you know, growing it past just me being myself yep. because, you know, kids have such strong desires, huge goals and desires and dreams, and they've got huge wants, new bikes, new new um, toys, new games, whatever it might be. They want to have a new experience. They want to go and try something different. They want to join a sporting team. All of these things cost money. And if every parent went, that's a brilliant idea, what can we do to make the money to pay for it? Instead mm. of just going, oh, okay, that's expensive. You know what I mean? If the parent said, well, that's awesome. Let's, let's work on an idea that we can do something to make that would pay for that. If a parent had that mentality with their children, who knows what ideas they would come up with. Yeah, it could be really cool. And that was the question I was going to ask you later. I was like, what were there a couple of things that uh, you would suggest parents could do to sort of gear, them, gear the kids in, in this sort of thought process? And I think asking that question is um, a brilliant one that I haven't actually heard before. Um, and it's really, really simple, really simple question to ask and very, very easy. So that's cool. Um, if I would, was still talking about money, but just a slight change of track. Financial freedom, what is it to you um, and do, do you think it's important for people to sort of be learning about and steering towards, um, what, what's it mean to you, financial freedom, financial independence? Financial independence or financial freedom is always meant to me having the choice to work or not. Hmm. I mean, uh, one of my goals that I set at a very young age was to retire by 25, you know, and, but on that goal, I made a very specific point and I wrote down saying, not having to work. That's mm. what it meant. That I have the choice to work. And so to me, that meant I had the ability to take myself off a roster where I had to show up to a store or had to show up to a certain shift and I had to put eight hours in that day because no one else could do that for me mm. and I couldn't survive if I didn't do that. So mm. financial freedom meant to me that, well, now I have the choice whether I work on something today or not. And I had the choice of when I work, you know what I mean? And so I, I was blessed for, that, I, that I kicked that goal. And by 24 and nine months, I took myself off the roster. And at that, at that time frame in my life, I had the ability not to have to put myself on the roster anymore. So now I had the choice of when I would work, how long I would work for and what I would work on. You know what I mean? And over the, over the years, you still have to be disciplined. A lot of, pe a lot of people would um, take that as a, woohoo, I'm going to go and do nothing for the rest of my life, right? But um, there's always an effort involved. You know, every, you look at every billionaire on the planet, every billionaire on the planet is still working on something or some yep. aspect of their empire. And there's a reason for that, right? Yep. Cool. So that's what financial freedom means is that they have the, the choice whether to work or not. But you're also not completely stressed consistently about what, where's that dollar coming from. Yeah. Yep. How old were you when you set that goal? Uh, probably 22 when I set the goal, I would, I would think. But interestingly enough, that goal came from my mentor. When I was 17 or 18, he asked me when he was mentoring me, he said to me, what would you rather do? He said, would you rather party, 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 go out, get drunk, you know, enjoy life, have a wild, crazy time in your 20s. And then by the time you're 25 to 30, you decide what you're going to finally do and knuckle down. And then you work your life away until you're 65. And then by 65, you retire with nothing and then die. And I thought, well, he painted that picture really well. Or he said, would you rather work your butt off, work really hard until you're 25 and then retire at 25 and spend the rest of your life doing whatever you want? And I went, that one. I want to do that one. And so when, when he, he said this at 17, 18 for me, right, when, however old I was back then. And so therefore that number 25 probably stuck in my head that that's what I wanted to do. You, you said you wrote that down as a goal. Did you write it down and tuck it away and not do anything with it? What, 
or did you write it down? Were you looking at it all the time? Were you constantly taking steps towards it? What was your approach to that goal? I went and did a course um, by Jane Johnson, who was someone who Robert Kiyosaki, the author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, recommended I go do many years ago. And um, she was a goal-setting expert and very spiritual woman. And at her course, we had all our goals. And she, ta she taught us the importance of goals. She said, you look at any millionaire or billionaire out there, they're reading their goals, they're looking at them, they're putting it somewhere where they can see it every day, all day, right? She said, but it's also important of the um, order of your goals. And so what happens is she got us to write down, I think it was 12 or 13 goals. And, and one of my goals was obviously to retire by 25 in brackets, not having to work. Um, and I put that as number one because I actually thought that was my number one goal. Mm. However, over the course of the day, she made us go through this process where we would uh, sort of um, bet each other's goals off one another, like only on your own goals. You would compare them. You would say, is this more important or is that more important? You go, yeah. well, that's more important to me. So you'd move it up. Now, is that one more important or is that more important? It was a matrix system for your own goals, right? And at the end of the process, my number one goal ended up being having a support network of friends and family that support me. Very cool. That was my number one goal. Having a group or a network of friends and family that support me. Yeah. And so I realized how important that was. And so I went out and I started to make sure that I had a great circle of influence around me mm. and great people because they're the ones that help push you to that next level. Mm. You know, power of association at the end of the day is one of the most important things that anyone could, you know, ever have in their life. You know, if, um, if there's a piece of advice I could give parents is make sure that you provide a loving, uh, caring environment for your, your children and help guide them into a, um, a group of friends or peers that they have that will empower them. You know, unfortunately, you know, some kids end up getting caught up with the wrong kids. Right. And we know that the power of association kind of um, plays a big part there. What do you mean? We're going back to goals and how important, Sorry, power of association, just super Well, quick. the people you hang around with. Okay, cool. That's all right. The people you hang around with, you become. End of story. Yep. You look at the people you're around, you will, you will become them. You know, as it says in a great book called Think and Grow Rich, you know, if you're around crime or you're around drugs, first of all, you will push it away. If you're around it long enough, you'll accept it. And if you're around it even longer, you'll just end up becoming it. If you hang around gym addicts and you're not a gym addict and all you do is hang around gym addicts for 12 months, you will become a gym addict. <laughs> you hang around footy fans, 12 months down the track, you will become a footy fan. Mm. You know, I mean? that's just, that's the power of association. You hang around with negative people who like to talk about their problems consistently. Then you're going to be one of those people that are just looking at problems instead of opportunities. Awesome. Cool. Beautiful. Sorry, back to goals. Go, keep going. That's right. So the goal side of things, how important is it to have it up uh, in front of you? You know, I, mean, I was taught, put your goals in front of you, put them up in front of you. And one of my goals was uh, at the time, many years ago, to, re uh, to meet Richard Branson. Mm -hmm. And I had no idea, but he was just someone who I looked up to. You know, I, I wanted to be like him. I wanted my company to uh, you know, embody the same values as, as the Virgin brand does. And so I just put it up there as I want to meet Richard Branson. He's a billionaire. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I just want to meet Richard Branson. Anyway, over the next you know, year or two, I, um, I had several executives from head office come and have dinner at my home. And one night um, I had these executives at my house and I cooked them steak and salad. It was a very bland dinner. You know what I mean? And we had some wine and some laughs and they helped clean up in the kitchen and then they left. And uh, about two weeks later, I got a call from one of them and he said, uh, Zappa, listen, um, just touching base. You know, that night I was at your house for dinner and I said, yeah. He goes, I was in the kitchen. I couldn't help but read your goals on your, on your, on your fridge. And I'm like, oh, here we go. What have I done or what have I put up there, right, that he's going to pick on? And he said, well, I see that one of your goals is to meet Richard Branson. And I said, yeah, it is. I've always you know, admired Richard Branson. And he said, well, I've just been asked if I wanted to go to a, um, a launch virgin ball to meet Richard Branson. And would you like to have the table instead of me? And I said, hell yes. And wow. so I went and I took our global CEO at the time with me as one of my guests that came with me and some of my managers. And we met Richard Branson that night. And it was, um, it was great. I could tick it off. And then so you look back at it and you go, if that goal wasn't written out, 
and put on the on the fridge. You know, what I mean, not only for me to see, but for other people to see and hold me accountable to it. That that goal wouldn't have eventuated and become a, a reality, right? Yeah. So, very important. Very cool. Cool story attached to it. That makes it quite powerful. Very good. Um, slight change of tact. TV. Kids watching TV. What are your What are your thoughts on that? I loved TV as a kid. Yep. <laughs> I think most kids do, right? Yep. And then I, then I, then I met my mentor, or my first mentor, when I was seventeen or eighteen. And he would call it the idiot box. Mm-hmm. He would say people sit in front of it and they just turn it on and they numb themselves. They go, duh, because it turns you into an idiot. He goes, and you just watch whatever is on TV, whatever they want you to watch. Yeah. He says, so don't don't turn it on. It's an idiot box. And I thought, oh, okay, that's very true. It's an idiot box. Absolutely. Um, However, I obviously didn't take note because I still kept my TV in, in my home as I was growing my empire. And I, I found uh, at a certain time of my life, I think it was about three years into my business, maybe two or three years into my business, I had a few stores at the time turning over a couple of million dollars a year uh, and I was exhausted, you know, and it was, it was hard work or whatever it was. And I found myself coming home and just turning on the TV flicking it on and it was this was past midnight 1am 2am whatever it was and I turn the tv on and I just sit in front of it and I go and I just take in crap that was on tv whatever it was it was just my time out and all of a sudden I realized holy shit I'm just sitting there and I'm listening to uh you know stuff that's on tv that has no relevance to my life whatsoever none none of this is going to benefit me whatsoever and then I had my little mentor in my little ear going, it's called the idiot box for a reason, you idiot. Right? <laughs> so I unplugged my TV. I unplugged the TV. And at the time I was living in a penthouse um, in Rockdale, nine stories up. And next to me was this construction site with this big dumpster. And so I took the, unplugged the TV, took it to the balcony, and I just dropped it over the balcony into this dumpster. And it smashed. And I didn't have a TV for, for many years after that at all. Not, not one single TV in the home. And, and people would come over to my house and they would say, nice place. Um, where's your TV? You got a TV cabinet, but no TV, right? And I go, yeah, I don't have a TV. And they would say, they all would say the same thing. What do you do? Mm. I'd say, read a book, <laughs> work on the business. Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? And, and so I found myself working on the business more. I found myself creating systems, creating spreadsheets, creating reports, designing things, helping, helping the business grow, helping myself grow. I'd read more and more books, you know what I mean? And, and, and I started to excel. The business started to grow again, mm-hmm. right? Um, only because I wasn't wasting this time period that was just numbing my brain and filling it with just useless stuff that had no uh, effect on my future whatsoever. And so anyone that asks me whether TV is uh, an important aspect of their life in today's world, whether it's a child or an adult, I will say, turn it off, get rid of it. It has no, it has no relevance in your life whatsoever. If you are going to watch documentaries about successful people, or if you're going to watch, um, you know, videos on how to invest or something like that, something that's beneficial to you. Absolutely. Mm. It's, it's content that that's a different way of learning other than reading a book, Mm -hmm. but just turning the TV on and sitting in front of it to numb yourself out, to chill out. It's a waste of time. If you're looking at parents who are pulling their hair out and not knowing what to do with their kids and the TV's just there, it like gives them some peace and quiet to sit them in front of it and they're putting their kid there. What are your thoughts on that? So that's a tough question. <laughs> I, well, I, you know, I understand it's a tough question because, um, you know, parents look at it as time out for them. Hmm. You know what I mean? And it's a little bit like business, right? If I didn't put in the hard yards and work my butt off for several years at a very young age in the early stages of business, I probably wouldn't be where I am today and I wouldn't have survived the 5, 10, 15 year mark in business because um, I probably wouldn't have ingrained the foundation well enough. And so I look at it and I say, you know, if I took um, the philosophy of, well, I'm just going to take the shortcut here because it gives me a bit of time off in my first year, second year, or third year. I wouldn't be where I am today. So I look at it a little bit like parenting and go, you know, I understand that the TV gives parents a little bit of peace and quiet now. Mm. Right? It gives them peace and quiet in the immediate term. Yep. But what are you developing and creating for the long run? Because, you know, you didn't have children for, for 24 hours. You didn't have children for five years or 10 years a child is a lifetime commitment. You know what I mean? It's something that 
And, and, you know, people don't go into business going, well, I hope I go bankrupt in three years. I hope I make it for three years. No one goes into business thinking that, right? You go into business for a long-term vision and a grand vision. So you've got to plan for the long run, you know? Yeah. So I would say, yes, I understand it gives you a little bit of peace and quiet in the short term, but come up with an idea that might be beneficial to you and the child or you and the family that, um, that might be able to grow them long-term whatever that might be. Cool. You know, and telling someone, telling someone, turn the TV off. It's turning you into an idiot. That's not going to work. Is it? You know (laughs) what I mean? Like asking yourself the question, Hey, let's go and do something that might be able to give us some extra freedom or extra value or extra money. And we can buy this or we can put it towards this and we can create something. Children are so creative. If you ask the child for an idea of what else to do other than TV, they'll come up with the ideas. They're so creative. Give them a box that becomes a theme park, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. You know? 100%. If there were three things that you could you give or teach or to, to young kids, say it, it could be like under 10, it could be like to sort of mid-early teens, three things that you could teach or resources that you could give them or habits that they could start to implement, what would, um, what would they be? So first thing I would do is make sure that at a young age, every child is um, rewarded for their efforts on something, not just given anything. Yep. So even if it's just some small work around the house, you're helping mum unpack the groceries when she comes from the grocery store, you get 50 cents. Yep. Right. There's a, there's an exchange of value. It's just not, you can, you can sit there and be present and you get rewarded for doing that. You know, mm-hmm. there needs to be uh, an ingrained work ethic put in, in place. Um, and then, you know, when the child or a child uh, demands something or asks for something or has a desire for something, instead of saying the words, I can't afford it, which most people will say, you know, what I mean, what do you think I am? Money, money doesn't grow on trees. You know, I, I've got to, you know, I heard that as a child even. Um, I think one of the best things to do would be to say, that's fantastic. That looks awesome. Let's come up with an idea on how we can make some money that we can afford to do that and let the child be creative again. How do you reckon we can get some money? What, what can we do? What can you do? Do you think if we go and ask grandma if we can wash her car you know, once a week, she'll give you $10 or $5? Or do you think if we go and ask the neighbors next door if we can you know, sweep their driveway for them? There's so many different things you could do, right? Raw efforts, creativity. Is there, is there a habit? that you would, uh, apart from the parents sort of rewarding efforts, is there, is there a resource, is there a game, or is there something that kids could be, be doing or be practicing or be, be learning about or be reading or be watching at that age that would help, uh, help them to sort of learn some of those habits to set them up financially? You know, the whole Rich Dad, Poor Dad series of books and the games that he has, Cashflow, are absolutely brilliant, but I'm not sure whether um, at what age bracket that would be suitable. Uh, a teenager absolutely would read those books and uh, would be inspired by those. So if you have teenagers, you know, even later teenagers, even better. But younger than that, um, you know, I think a lot of the habits and, and the resources will start at home. Children don't always do what you say, but they'll do what you do. You know what I mean? So you setting an expectation and setting the example at home is something absolutely brilliant. You know what I mean? Very young children see and hear everything that goes on at home. They do. And that's how they learn. They watch. They just watch and, and see what everyone's doing. And so just setting the, great, the good example for the kids is, is something that's needed at that, at that young age until they get to a point where their scholastic education is enough for them to be able to look at other resources like Rich Dad, Poor Dad books or, or games like Cashflow Quadrant. You know what I mean? There's ones for kids and there's a book for kids as well. Awesome. Cool. Um, I would get them into the workforce as soon as, as soon as they can work. Get them into the workforce as soon as they can. Yeah. So 13, I think, is a legal age in New South Wales, I think, at this point in time. Yep. Um, and so, you know, get them in the workforce. Absolutely. Awesome. Socialization awesome. skills will develop. Work ethic will develop. New skill sets will develop. They'll learn that, hey, they're getting paid for uh, something that they're putting effort into. Now, for a lot of kids, teenagers, particularly growing up, a car is often seen as almost a, a rite of passage when they're, when they're teenagers. I know a lot of young teenagers are buying new cars. They're often getting loans for those cars. Do you believe that that's a smart thing for kids to have as their first purchase? No. Can you it's nothing. That? It's, 
Well, it's, it's a liability. It's something that not only goes down in value, but it also costs money to maintain over a period of time. Yep. So it's something that de- decreases in value and takes money out of your pocket. It's an absolute liability to the max. You know, that's, I, I am thankful that when I met that mentor when I was at 17, 18 years of age, that um, he met me when I was looking at purchasing a car. And, you know, the conversation was, you know, oh, what are you doing? I, I'm looking at buying this car. Oh, what car is that? Uh, I said to him, it's a secondhand BMW. Oh, how much is that going to cost you? And I said, oh, about $35,000. And he was shocked. He said, you got $35,000 to spend on a car at your age? And I said, no, I'm going to borrow the money for a car loan like everyone else does. And he says, hmm, what happens if you borrow $35,000 and then put it into an investment and then two years down the track, you can buy a $100,000 BMW with the profits, brand new one, and you still got your investment. You know, and, and the idea would sound nice, but I was like, no, I want my car now. Yeah. I mean, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a teenager. I want it now. Yeah. And so, you know, him proving and questioning, you know, got me into the, the Rich Dad, Poor Dad book, which really opened my eyes up about um, liabilities and assets. But, you know, if you ask a lot of young people, um, would they buy a car for $15,000? Would you? They saved up $15,000, would you buy a car? They'd say, yeah. And if you ask them the same question, would you save up $15,000 and dump it in the stock market? They'd go, no. Hmm. And if you ask them why not, they'd say, because it's too risky. <laughs> too risky. I said, what's risky? They said, the stock market is too risky. And I said to them, okay, so here's a different perspective on that. What's the percentage chance that the car is going to go down in value? Oh yeah, cars go down in value over time. Absolutely. So 100% chance the value of $15,000 is going to get less. Yeah, absolutely. On a car. I said, what's the percentage chance that the value of your stock market could go up? Well, it depends what you invest in. I said, okay, cool. So it's like a 50-50 chance. So you got 50% chance you could make money on the stock market, but you got a 100% chance that you're going to lose money in a car. Now you tell me which one's more risky. <laughs> I love it. And not... And not many people look at that, right? They, they say things that they don't understand. It's risky when you don't understand it, absolutely. But risk is losing 100% value. You're losing your money buying a car at such a young age. You know, I am so blessed that my mentor said that to me because I didn't buy that $35,000 car. I invested my money into businesses and I bought a $100,000 BMW two years later. Awesome. You know what I mean? And I didn't pay for it. The business did. So I was, you know, I was blessed by that. Um, that philosophy, it doesn't make money. You know what I mean? You're only going to put yourself in a, in a hard position financially. If you go down that path of spending that um, money on a car, invest it into educating yourself around finances. They don't teach that at school. Cool. Awesome. It's not one person I've talked to yet has said a car is a good, good buying choice. (laughs) So I'm glad that you, you kept on that trend, but, um, it's just as a slight side note, it's funny that you, because I know you're very big for Rich Dad Poor Dad. When I was first time, I, well, second time I read through, I was looking at buying a car and I was 19 and I just got given, a, um, I don't know, a lump, lump sum, of, sum of money from something. Um, and it was like, okay, sweet, I'm going to buy, buy the car for 10 to grand. And I was reading the book as I was, it was an audio book, as I was driving down to go and look at the car. <laughs> and I was like, I know this is a liability. I shouldn't be buying it. <laughs> it's really funny. It resides in the back of my, you know, I, I am an absolute car fanatic. You know that, right? <clears throat> I am an absolute car fanatic. However, I'm a big massive believer that someone else should be paying for your car. Yeah. You know what I mean? Cause cool. if you're paying for it, it's a liability, but if you've got an asset paying for it, you know, then you've, you've got the ability to have the car that you want. No worries, and you're not losing money on it personally. You know, yep. it's it's a wrong on tax, or if it's a business expense, or whatever it might be, or just coming out of the profits that the investment's making. You know, and the asset so, keeps making money. It does, absolutely. Cool, awesome. Now, this is a change of tack. This one, so sort of moving away from the finances uh, for a bit, and this is going to be geared. I know this will be something that that a lot of kids do go through, uh, and a lot of parents as well trying to deal with this based around sexual orientation. And I know we've talked about this uh, a few times and it's something that you struggled with personally um, when you were younger and coming to terms with. And I'm just wondering if you could share a little bit about your story, what your, what your journey with understanding that 
was for you and how you would help kids that are struggling with that growing up, struggling to understand themselves, understanding, um, yeah, what, what it is for them. I think, you know, in today's world, it's a little bit easier too, because, um, you know, sexual fluidity, I think they call it is, 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 um, you know, everyone's going through some sort of sexual fluidity in today's world, it seems. But for me personally, when I was growing up, you know, I mean, um, it was, um, you know, it was a, a bit different. It was, it was frowned upon. It had a stereotypes, you know, etc. But in my mind, I also knew, I knew I had an interest in men and women as a, mm-hmm. as a young kid. I had an interest in both. However, the interest in men was such a taboo, you know, subject because it was stereotyped as being one avenue of thing. This is what gay people are like. Mm-hmm. And in my head, I grew up thinking, well, that's what gay people are like, but I'm not like them. And so I can't be like that. Yep. But I had, I had feelings towards men. Right. Yep. And so it was really hard. It was a hard thing growing up for me because I was like, I'm not like them. I, I, I don't consider myself like them. And what them is, was the stereotype at that point in time. And what most people, you know, still today, some people stereotype, you know, gay people as X, Y, whatever it might be, A, B, C. And so because I said, I'm not like them, I kind of pushed that side away of, from me. I went, no, I'm going to keep dating girls only. I'm not going to experiment down that path too much because I can't be like that because I'm, I'm not like them. But I still had those desires. Mm. And it wasn't until I got a little bit older that I met some other people and I end up, um, you know, experimenting down that path with people that were not like them either, but they had the same thoughts. Okay. And so that kind of, that kind of showed to me that, wow, there's a different type of person out there other than the stereotypical gay person, them. Right. And as I traveled the world and I started to grow even further, I started to realize even more that, um, there is no stereotype of it. They're just a human. Yep. You know, like if, if you were an alien and you flew to Africa in your first visit to earth, right. In a certain part of Africa. Uh, and then you left earth, you'd go back to earth and you'd say humans are all black, hmm. but that's not the reality. Hmm. Right. Or if you flew to a certain part of the world where there was only fat people, you would go back to your own you know, planet as an alien and you would say all humans are fat, but that's not the reality either. Hmm. There's skinny humans, there's tall humans, there's fat humans, there's fit humans. But what they are is they're just humans, right? And so I, 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 what I've realized over the years is that that stereotype them, that gay doesn't exist. It exists in a stereotype, in societal expectations or a stereotype. And that's it. You know what I mean? Other than that, Everyone's a human and the levels of interest for those people are, are varying, you know, I, I looked at it then and I went, well, how can you categorize 7 billion people on the planet into three boxes, mm. gay, bi or straight? How is that possible? You know? So then I went back and I started to think, and I've done a lot of thinking around this and a lot of, a lot of discussion with a lot of people over the years, you know, and, and you look at it and you say, if a girl at school, if a girl at high school, she has an interest in women, so she experiments and she has a lesbian experience. Is she a lesbian? Most people would say, no, she's just experimenting. Cool. So if she has a lesbian experience and she went, this is not bad, this is interesting, and then she dates another girl for six months and she's in a lesbian relationship, lesbian as they call it, relationship for, for six months. But then after six months, she says, you know, um, yeah, I enjoyed it. It was fun, but it's not really for me. And then she goes and dates a man. She marries the man. She has kids and she lives happily ever after. Is she a lesbian? Most people would say, no, she just experimented. Yet if a guy experimented during high school, even if it was just once, he would be tagged as gay for the rest of his life. And that's just a stereotype. And unfortunately, um, that was the case when I was a, a younger person. Today, it's getting a lot easier, a lot better, right? However, then the other thought on the subject is... If a guy only has feelings towards men, he only ever likes men. He doesn't have any desire for women, but he doesn't tell anyone. And then he marries a woman, he has kids, and then he dies. Never actually uh, fulfilling that ever. Is he gay? Most people would say, well, no, because he never did anything. And I would say, but he only ever liked men. He just didn't tell anyone. And he married a woman and then died. And so there's all these unanswered questions. And so I've come up with this thought that, Ultimately, everyone resides on a scale from one to a hundred. 
you know, one being completely straight, a hundred being completely homosexual or lesbian, whatever you want to call it. And everyone sits on that scale of, of somewhere along the line, you know, 5%, 10%, 15%. And sometimes during high school, they may be 15%. Their interest might be 15% and they may experiment. But then later on in life, it drops back down to 5%, 2%, even 1%. And that's okay. And so a lot of the youth that I deal with today, I always say to them, you just be you. Just do whatever you feel is right at that point in time and not worry about what everyone else thinks because everyone sits on a scale somewhere mm. and it's okay to move on that scale. If you want to be 50% at this point in time of your life, don't be afraid that you have to stay at 50% and it's going to be like that for the rest of your life because it doesn't. Interests change. People change. People grow. People develop, right? Mm. Ultimately, you fall in love with people, not genitals, right? Mm. And so what happens is that, you know, to be able to understand that, you know, just go and be yourself at this point in time and experiment. Not, you know, it's, it's silly that society still has some of the stereotypes because if all of a sudden I said to you, Joe, have you ever tried mango ice cream? And you go, no, I've never tried mango ice cream. I say, we well, should go try it. And you go, but no, if I try it, am I going to be tagged as a mango addict? No, you're not. You can go and try mango ice cream and you go and try it and you go, it was all right. Not really for me. I wouldn't have it again. I'm not going to sit there and go, you know, you're definitely a mango addict. You're a mango addict for sure. That's not the reality. Yeah. You tried it and you, you thought it was all right, but you know, it's not really for you. So that's a little bit like life, right? I think people have got to understand that it's okay to be you. I was, um, I have a lot of young people on my, um, you know, Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, etc. And there was a, there's a young, uh, a young gentleman. He's only 16 going through a very similar stage on Snapchat recently. And you know how you can ask people questions on Snapchat and it posts it you know, publicly. Someone asked him um, if he's gay, bi or straight. And his response I thought was brilliant that I had to contact him. And I just said to him, perfect response because his response was, hi, I'm Costa. Nice to meet you. <laughs> and that's how it should be responded. Why, why, why is that he fit into a box? Because if he fits it, if he puts himself into a box, that might be wrong next week. Mm. He might feel differently, and that's okay to feel differently about that. You know, so I think you know when when many parents um, see some things in their children or their children experimenting, whatever it might be, that sometimes the parents start to think, oh, which one are they? Mm. You know, why do they have to be something? They're just trying mango ice cream. They may not like it. Don't yeah. worry about it. I mean, well, they they might like it. You know what I mean? Who knows? Yeah, but let them try it instead of trying to coach them into you need to pick one. Yeah. You need to pick an ice cream flavor. Yeah. You can't, you can't like vanilla or you, you have to like vanilla all your life. You can't like chocolate for six months and then they're like vanilla later. You can't, it's not possible, yeah. you know? And a lot of people talk like that in that, in, in the sexual orientation world, you know? Cool. Awesome. I don't, know, I don't know if that explains That's my it. thoughts. That was exactly what I was hoping that you'd say because I know I, the first time I heard you say that, it, um, yeah, it was pretty profound for me to listen to and be like that. And I think that's something that will help a lot of people, um, even people who looking back at things that they've done previously. And this was, this was the case for me looking at when I was younger and having things go on and I'm like, oh, I don't, nah, it doesn't work. And it's a similar thing to what, what you had. It's like, that's, that's not the idea. That's not what I've been taught. Um, so I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to shun it. And, but then you look back and you're like, all right, that's just part of growing. It's part of changing. It happens. Um, I feel pretty comfortable where I am now, but I'm also okay if that changes later on. And, you know, that's life. And I think it's a lot of that is being really, um, really comfortable in who you are as well. I think if you, absolutely, if you're comfortable with who you are, then, you know, being so worried about that orientation is very much being worried about what you're going to be tagged, what you're going to look like to other people. It's sort of like buying that car. So people that you don't care about like you, right? Um, yeah. If it's, yeah, if you, I think if you're more okay with that, you're more okay with yourself and you're just comfortable to be who you are, um, that stuff gets easier. But that framework, I think with that scale and just being okay to sort of move along it and really, really helpful for me and I, I believe that'll help a lot of people. I certainly hope it will. It's something that I'll, I'll definitely grab and teach. I'll credit you. <laughs> but it's, uh, yeah, I just think it's a really, really good framework. Any, any final thoughts for parents or kids that you think would be beneficial or something that maybe you would have liked to have been told at a, at a younger age? 
I think one of the best things I've ever done in my entire life, and it's not something that I have done and then stopped, but it's a, it's a journey that you go on is the self-development journey. You know, I think uh, most people think when they finish their formal education that that's it for me learning. I think that's where the learning starts. Mm. Scholastic education is finished at year 12. That's where the learning starts. And it's not, doesn't necessarily have to be tertiary education or university. It's self-education into the things that you want to learn and develop and grow into. After you've finished school, whether, whether you're a fresh teenager out of school or whether you're a, a 65-year-old um, you know, mother, um, I think self-education is one of the best things you could possibly do. Just keep growing and keep learning. You know, that's what this planet's all about is to be able to evolve and experience life and learn new things and go down different paths, etc. To be able to just, um, you know, there, there was a great saying, I think it was Warren Buffett said it, I'm not too sure, many years ago. He says, most people um, learn, they grow, and then, then they die at 25. But then they just get buried when they're about 85. Mm. And what he meant by that is they stop learning and growing at about 25 years of age. Mm. You know, the self-development journey is just absolutely brilliant. Go down and educate yourself financially. Go down and educate yourself in the psychology realm. You know, I used to be the most emotional person that I ever met. And today I still am the most emotional person that I ever met, but I have the ability to have logic backing mm. it. And so someone said, have you gotten rid of all your emotions? No, absolutely not. Emotions are what drives us. Emotions yeah. are what drives a human race. We, we go after what we desire and they're our goals and it's what our passion's all about. Like that's emotion for sure. But I have logic that backs it now and I, and I, and I back it because I understand. I always ask myself the questions, why am I feeling like that? Why do I feel, you know, if someone challenges me against something and I feel scared or I feel awkward or I feel threatened, Instead of just having a reaction to that, I ask myself, why do I feel like that? Why, why was I reacting like that? Why did I feel fearful then? Why did I get angry just then? You know, and sometimes you have those, we're all human. We have the natural human reactions to react. And sometimes I do react, right? Hmm. But I always go away and I think to myself, wow, why did I, why did I react like that? And I will, I will dig for an answer hmm. because awareness is what makes us grow to that next level. And I have to think to myself, oh, was there something that I was uncomfortable about? Was there, is there a, a topic of conversation I need to learn more about myself in there? You know? So I think you know, going down that self-development journey in, in life has just been one of those absolute brilliant things that I've done. And I'm still on that journey, still developing, still learning. And, and so are you. you know, I know you're going down that path yourself as well. And um, I think that every human should have the ability to to go down that path and explore who they really are and what they really want out of the world, but also educate yourself around the things that you do want. Hmm. Cool. Amazing. Lovely. Well, I am incredibly appreciative of your time. Um, I, I enjoyed that immensely. I hope you did too. Um, and I'm sure that a lot, a lot of other people will take tons from it, tons from it on a lot of levels. So I've got, I've got my notes as always. Awesome. Uh, yeah, no, appreciate it enormously. Thank you very much for that. I hope that everyone enjoying, uh, sorry, everyone listening enjoys that and has taken something from it. Uh, but Brilliant. We'll leave it there for now. Thanks, Ian. Thank you, Joe. You have an awesome afternoon, mate. You too. Cheers, mate.